I was happy. Like, I ask all of you guys that all the time. Are you happy? Because every time you go out and you have to get more ice cream or you, you have to get a bigger cookie from Tuck or you have to you know, play one last video game, it, it shows, it should show you that you're not fully content, that you always need more, that you're not completely happy and you never will be happy until you are completely fulfilled in what God has for you. And for me, part of that journey has been through Father Ray. So I'd like you to please give me your attention. Um, again, uh, he's going to be speaking to you on this topic of repentance and conversion, ushering in this season of Lent. So please welcome Father Ray Sarian. Thank you. I uh, did know Dan Hodes way back when, when he was your age. If you want me stories, I can provide lots of them. They're interesting stories, but a good end result. And I thank God for that. Let me begin this morning with a little passage of scripture. I'll come back to this in a few moments. This is from the Gospel of John. By the way, if I scream during the homilies because my shoulder give me a stabbing pain now and again. But I need two hands to talk. I'm Italian, you know. This is from John chapter 1. The next day, John, and here he's talking about John the Baptist, was with two of his disciples. As he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where do you stay? Come and see, he said. So they went to see where he was lodged, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. One of the two who had followed him after hearing John was Simon Peter's brother Andrew, the first thing he did was to seek out his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The term means anointed. He brought him to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Your name shall be Cephas, which is rendered Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday, most of you had the experience of being in church, approaching a priest, deacon, extraordinary minister of the Eucharist, and that person put a big black smudge on your forehead, a burnt palm, and they said to you, turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. Now, I'm sure you were all very respectful, very nice, very kind. And so you said nothing. You were very angelic. But if you had wanted to, you could have said, why? Turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. Why? You know, when I was your age, that's the question I would have asked. And I did. To my pastor, I used to drive him nuts with the questions I would ask about everything. Because I wanted to know why. Why should I turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel? Sin can be fun. We all know that. 
They don't call it temptation for nothing. There is something attractive about sin, something that draws us. And uh, that doesn't change when you put a collar around your neck, you know? Why should I be faithful to the gospel? Being faithful to the gospel is tough. You read what Jesus says. He says to be honest, to be virtuous, to be pure, to be forgiving. Seventy times, seven times. No matter what somebody does to you, you are called to forgive. Why should I do any of that stuff? Forget about self-denial, giving up stuff for Lent. I'm not so sure I even want to do the basics. That's what I would have said when I was your age, in all honesty. I mentioned this today because we often try to convert people Try to do this with adults. Many people try to do it with young people by changing first their external behavior. But that's a big mistake because it implies that our religion is centered on rules and commandments. And that is not the case. I know this may come as a surprise, to a shock to a lot of people, even to a lot of adult Catholics that I work with all the time. The center of our faith is not the Ten Commandments. And now don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean you can do whatever the heck you want. Don't anybody leave here saying, Father Ray said we can do whatever we like to do. The Ten Commandments don't matter. No, they do matter. But, and I'm so glad Martin said what he said a few moments ago. He reminded us very clearly that the center of our religion, the center of our Catholic faith, is not rules, it's a person. It's a divine person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you, he created you, he came to this earth to die for you, so that you could live in the big house. His big house, in the kingdom. And that was a very interesting explanation of heaven. It's all the fun stuff of this earth without the sin. That's a good way to think of it. And a lot more. So real conversion during Lent and any time, real conversion has got to begin with Jesus Christ. It has to begin with our having a personal relationship with Him. And after that, then our behavior begins to change. See, once that relationship is in place, then what we do becomes different. The relationship demands it. Here's an earthly parallel to what I'm talking about. It's something I think most of you can relate to. Archbishop Fulton Sheen was a great speaker, a great author. I've read a lot of his books, heard a lot of his tapes. In one of those books, he writes about a young man that he knew, a young boy that he knew. Listen to his description of this kid. He said, this young man would not comb his hair, wash behind his ears, clean his fingernails, or come to the table with clean clothes. And when he went out the door, he always slammed it. But then one day he came down, his hair was combed, his clothes were clean, his hands were well washed, he was clean behind the ears. And when he went out the door, he closed it gently. His parents couldn't understand it. They had begged, coaxed, pleaded, and bribed to no avail. 
But what they did not understand was their son had just met Susie. Here we have a boy whose behavior radically changed for the better, much to his parents' joy. But please understand something. This is very important for our relationship with God. That change in his external behavior was the result of something that happened to him on the inside. It all began in his heart started the day he saw this girl Susie and he thought to himself, you know, rather cute. I think I like her. That was in his heart. Then it went to his head, literally. He began to think differently. He began to think to himself, you know, if I want this girl to like me, I had better stop looking and acting and smelling like a homeless person. So it went from his heart to his head and then to his body. He made those changes that made his parents ecstatic. And that's the way it is with genuine conversions of faith. They do not begin with external activity and changing that stuff. Most of the time, it begins in the heart. If you forget everything else I say this morning, try to remember this one saying. Conversion is from the heart to the head to the body. When somebody has a real conversion of faith, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's the way it happens. And you know who would agree with me? I'm almost positive on this. The two men I read about in that gospel text, I told you I'd come back to it. St. John and St. Andrew. St. Andrew is named explicitly, John isn't mentioned, but he, scholars will tell you, was probably that other disciple who followed Jesus that day. What happened, just to review very quickly. One day John the Baptist is there, and these two men obviously were following John beforehand, before they followed Jesus. Jesus John pointed at Jesus and said, look, there is the Lamb of God. And out of curiosity, at least, these two men decided, we're going to follow this guy. But very quickly, Jesus touched their hearts. That was key. That's what made all the difference. That's what changed their lives. And you know how we can discern that from this text? It's from one line in the scriptures. This one. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. So what? You know, you can take that line right out of the gospel, read the story, and it all still makes sense. Why did St. John put that detail in his gospel? Scholars have debated this, but most will agree it was because John wanted to make it clear to all of us that this was the moment when his life radically changed. That day at four o'clock in the afternoon. They went and they spent time with Jesus. Jesus touched their hearts. 
Obviously, during the conversation they had, they began to think differently, realize he was the Messiah. It says in that scripture that they ran out. Andrew went to his brother Peter. First thing he did, he took his body to his brother. And he said, look, here's the one we've been waiting for. Here is the one who will answer all of our questions, respond to all of our needs and desires. He's the Messiah. And he took Peter to Jesus. And then, of course, they all took their bodies on the road with Jesus for three years. Their lives were never, ever the same again. Conversion is from the heart to the head and then to the body. You know, I think this can help us all to understand why some people find it almost impossible to be faithful to the commandments. It's a struggle. It's a losing battle that they fight. This is why a lot of people start off Lent really great. They've got all kinds of things they're going to do for God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to deny myself. They give up before the first Sunday of Lent comes. It's because they're trying to make their bodies obey God without their hearts being changed. And you know what? It's hard enough when your heart is touched by Jesus to be faithful to Him. When you haven't opened your heart to Him, it's nearly impossible. Dan mentioned that I got to know him, I guess, 15 years ago now? Wow. Time flies. I've been down in Westerly for 20 years. I'm originally from Barrington, so this is sort of my neck of the woods. But we've had a very successful, thanks be to God, youth ministry down at my parish, St. Pius X in Westerly, for even longer than 15 years, pretty much the 20 years that I've been there. I've been blessed. A lot of young people have come through our youth group and had their lives transformed by Christ. And you know what? And this is why I share this with you today, for your benefit, because it has always followed this same pattern. We had one young man come to my youth group that was early on. In fact, I think he was pretty much there from day one. He was a very good basketball player on Westerly High. He, um, he was good. Basketball was pretty much at the center of his life, though. He sort of lived and died with whatever happened on the basketball court. I could always tell in the night of youth group how he played the last game. And I said, I used to tell him, you know, Mike, uh, you know, you shouldn't live or die with what happens on the basketball court. You can't live your life like that. But he did at the time. He was a very popular kid, again, very athletic. He came to my youth group. He was an altar server. His parents were really involved in the church and in the community. What I didn't know was, though, he was the big partier of the high school. And uh, he was pretty much the ringleader. So here he was doing all this holy stuff during the week and even on Sunday. Then on Friday and Saturday, he was getting sloshed with his friends and into all kinds of trouble. The father was the last to know, incidentally. So was the way it happens. He was sort of living a double life. All of that changed with one event. His very saintly grandmother offered to pay for him. And she told me later on that she really didn't think he was going to say yes. She offered to pay for him to go on a trip to Medjugorje, Yugoslavia, then in then Yugoslavia. Uh, how many know what's going on in Medjugorje? Anybody hear of it? A few? Okay. 
Supposedly, reportedly, our Blessed Mother's been appearing there since really the early 1980s. And so he went, and he had his heart touched by Christ. And he came back a different kid. And what was amazing was to see how his friends reacted. Because they knew something real happened to him. You know, you can't hide it from your friends. His heart was touched, he started to think differently. And then his bodily actions changed. He was no longer the party animal anymore. In fact, he even took his body to other parishes and other youth groups and talked about his experience. And he influenced a lot of his peers. In fact, when he graduated high school a few years later, they voted him, his class voted him, most respected in his class. He would not have been most respected three years earlier. Most drunk, maybe? Most respected? No. You know, I always tell that to teenagers. Your friends may make fun of you if you go with Christ, but they will respect you deep down inside. And this young man proved it. That young man, incidentally, um, now wears one of these. <laughs> He's the vocation director for our diocese, Father Mike Major. And I know Father Mike wouldn't mind me telling that story because He's told it hundreds of times in his own witness. We had another young man, very interesting. His mother came to me and said, Father Ray, I wish you could help my son. He's a real free spirit, you know. He's, he's a good kid, very intelligent, has a lot of potential, but I think it's being wasted. All he likes to do is skateboard. I said, okay. Let me take a look at him. And he was quite the sight. Used to wear pants that were uh, 17 sizes too big and uh, always a baseball cap on backwards, of course. Always smiling. I, I said to his mother, I said, you know, we, we really need to try to get him connected with our youth group. I said, but uh, hopefully we can get him to go to Steubenville this year. How many of you went to uh, Steubenville East last year? So... Martin used to play at Steubenville East. We miss him. He was awesome when he led music there. Steubenville East is a big rally, youth rally, 2,000 kids. They have them now all over the country. Back then, they were only out at the Franciscan University. It's a real opportunity for young people to open their hearts to Christ and meet him in a personal way, in this fashion that I'm talking about. So this young man did come, and his life was changed. And I'm pleased to say, although he still skateboards, skateboarding is not at the center of his life anymore, and it hasn't been since then. Isn't that right, Mr. Holtz? You mean you didn't know I was talking about him? <laughs> ah, the old days. I do have pictures, too, from uh, back then. <laughs> the power of Christ at work. Now, I'm really very proud of all of our young people who have gone with the Lord, who have taken that step. And it's, it's a step that requires courage, because there's a lot of peer pressure to keep your heart closed. That's easy. That's the easy way to go in life. It takes guts to say, Lord Jesus, if you're real, I open my heart to you. I want you in my life. And to go with the Lord. So I commend Dan and Kendra Smith, who is also in my youth group, who teaches here, and all the others, the hundreds of others who have come through over the years. My prayer for you today, my prayer for all of you this Lent, 
is that you will allow the Lord in some way to touch your heart. That in the words of John Paul II, our former Pope, you will open wide the doors of your heart to Jesus Christ. And you know what? Only you can do that for you. I wish I could open your heart for you. You can't do it for me, I can't do it for you. We are all before God individually, and we have to do this as individuals. And you know, there are many ways that it can happen. It doesn't have to be on a Steubenville retreat, it doesn't have to be on a big pilgrimage to Medjugorje or Lourdes or Fatima or wherever. It can happen in the quiet of your room. It can happen as you sit on these beautiful grounds, and I hope you know how privileged you are to go to a school like this. You may not feel privileged all the time, but you are. What a place to meet God. It can happen at a Mass. In fact, it should, really, for all of us. Even at a quiet Mass with no music and no fanfare, with five people in attendance, you can meet Jesus in that setting. It can happen today. And in fact, I pray it does, for some of you at least. It can even happen in the midst of tragedy. And I need to mention that, too, because we all have to deal with tragedy in our lives. You know, back in 1993, a young man named Justin Gatchone was stabbed to death outside a pool hall in Westerly. Thank God we don't have many violent murders in Westerly. But we did that night. He got into a fight with another teenager over a girl. Wonderful. Pulled out a knife and stabbed him. I got called to the hospital that night, Westerly Hospital, to minister to the family. That was the most horrible night of my priesthood. I've been a priest 22 years. Hands down, that was the worst. The chaos, people out of control, teenagers, the family, distraught. There was no consoling them. You just were trying to... Do what you could to help people ride out this horrible storm. Justin Gatchon had one sibling, sister, Jill. Beautiful girl, very popular girl at the high school, cheerleader. I said to our teenagers, I said, you know, that girl needs Christ in her life now more than ever. I said, you guys, she didn't belong to my parish. I said, you guys need to reach out to her. Try to get her to come to youth group. It's worth a shot. Try to get her to come to Steubenville this year, this summer, with us. Our teens did. And she did. And you know, she had a, a beautiful, powerful, awesome experience. Again, her conversion went from her heart to her head to her body. She began to put things in order in her life, her relationships with her boyfriend and others. It was beautiful to see. And everything was nice for about a year. And then she didn't feel well. And they took her to the doctor and they ran some tests and they discovered that she had cancer. Not just any kind of cancer, but she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a very aggressive form of the disease. Uh, we couldn't believe it. You know, I tell you this story now and part of me thinks this really didn't happen, but it did. 1995, June, young Jill Gatchon, I remember, hobbled, and, and it was literally hobbled across the stage that they set up 
at Algeri Field in Westerly for the graduation. And she graduated with her class. And within two weeks, she was dead. But you know, I have seen very few people die with that kind of peace. You know, this girl, in the midst of that tragedy, opened her heart to Christ. And the incredible thing is, she never looked back. She kept moving forward, even when she was diagnosed with the disease. In fact, that spurred her on more. And you know what I found out after, when it was just before she died? Because this shocked me, and this showed me how much she had let the Lord into her life. Her favorite song, and I, I don't know if you have this and, and you can play it today at some point, Martin. Her favorite song was Give Thanks. And when I found that out, I said, you can Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Those are the words of that song. And I thought to myself, you know, on a purely human level, what the heck does this girl have to be thankful for? Her only brother is killed in this stupid, senseless, meaningless act of violence. Then she of all things, comes down with this horrible form of cancer, misses most of her senior year, and dies at the end of it. But she could see beyond. That's the power of Christ once he enters your life. You can see beyond even the tragedy. You can see beyond the despair. I'll tell one more story in conclusion today. Now, I'll tell this story because I know you study this person here at the Abbey. At least Mr. Hodes told me you study his writings. And, and this man's story reminds us that the Lord can transform our lives and touch our hearts and make us new creations, not only in the midst of tragedy, but also in the midst of despair. And the two aren't the same because you can be in despair because of tragedy, yes. But a lot of people today are in despair or close to it who have everything going right for them in their lives. They've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of power. They've got everything the world has to offer, but they are totally empty on the inside. Even then, Christ can come in if we let him. If that's where you're at today, and maybe it is for some of you, let this man's story give you hope. Let me read it to you because this is written up by a priest I know. And I thought he summarized this man's story beautifully. Once upon a time. That's always how good stories begin. Once upon a time. Many, many years ago in a city in the northern part of Africa, there lived a young boy who proved to be a big thorn in his parents' flesh. He had six brothers and sisters, but he alone was enough to try the patience of a saint, which he did, literally, because his mother was eventually canonized a saint by the church. As a child, he was disobedient to his parents, and he was constantly in trouble at school, 
Not because he couldn't do the work, he was really a very bright boy, but simply because he liked to play ball a lot more than he liked to read books. Everyone around him hoped that he would get better as he got older, but to everyone's dismay, he only got worse, much worse. He became involved in a strange religious cult. He began sleeping around with women. Finally, he moved in with one, and they had a child out of wedlock. To his mother especially, he was a great disappointment. Her little thorn in the flesh had now become an even bigger thorn in the flesh. But she never gave up hope. She prayed faithfully to God for more than 30 years, asking the Lord to change him somehow in some way. Meanwhile, her son began to struggle and feel very empty on the inside. His life of wine, women, and song had gotten him nowhere, and he began more and more to hate the way he was living. And yet he felt powerless to change. He needed to know that God was with him and that God would help him. And so he cried out to the Lord again and again in prayer, begging God to speak to him in some way and to help him. Finally, one day as he was taking a walk in a garden, his heart filled with sorrow and self-hatred and confusion and near despair, he heard the sound of a child's voice coming from a nearby house. The child was singing a strange song, one that he had never heard before. The words of the song which the child kept repeating over and over and over again were, Take up and read. Take up and read. The young man decided that this was what the Lord wanted him to do, and so he obeyed the instruction. He took hold of a copy of St. Paul's letter to the Romans that he had with him, and he opened it up. And when he did, the first words his eyes fell upon were these, from Romans 13. Let us live honorably as in daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. At that point, he stopped reading. He didn't need to go any further. He knew his prayer had been answered. He knew that God had spoken to him directly. His fears were gone. His life was different from that moment onward. He went on to become one of the greatest of all the saints of the church. We know him today, of course, as St. Augustine. I'm not sure what time of the day it was when this event occurred. But you know what? It really doesn't matter. For Augustine, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, the moment he opened his heart to Christ. And thankfully, he never took it back like Jill Gatchon. And the only thing he ever regretted afterward was, the, was that he had not done it sooner. Late have I loved you, he said later when he wrote his confessions. Late, O oh Lord, have I loved you. Through the intercession of St. Augustine, O Lord, and by your grace, help all of us not to wait. Martin Doman wrote a beautiful song about Augustine and about his experience, and I'll ask him to play it now. I think that's the best way for me to conclude this talk. And may it inspire you to follow his example.